0: All right, welcome in everybody. It's the Important Nonsense podcast. I am your host, Steve Bonham. You can find me everywhere at nonsense underscore Steve. Joined as always by Mister Neil Smith. Neil, how you doing today?
1: Doing well, doing well. Craziness, craziness, craziness this weekend.
0: Uh, oh yeah, uh, it's it's she, week she, one. Do so you know what that means?
1: Well, I was oh going to say, God, why?
0: Full on panic button.
1: <laughs> well, I was going to ask you before we get into panic button, which will be the theme of today's show. If you don't know, folks. Uh, that's always the overreaction podcast to week one. I was going to ask you, how did you react as somebody who's watched football for probably even longer than me? Uh, how did you react to the, to the no fans and the, the simulated crowd noise omitting the Thursday night game where they actually did have so a smattering of fans. How was that for you? Yeah,
0: it was, uh, Jacksonville had fans as well. There was, so there were a couple, no one watched that
1: game, Steve, not even Gardner Minshew's mom. Hey, I did.
0: All right. (laughs) (laughs) Me and Gardner Minshew's mom watched that game, but, no, I mean, it was all right. It wasn't too bad. The only one where it was completely terrible, just god awful, was Detroit. I mean, the, the fake piped in crowd noise there was just so over the top obnoxious. Uh, it was distracting from the game. But otherwise, I, I didn't mind it. That's I fair. honestly I, didn't pay too much attention to it.
1: My hot take from that was there's no fans in the Detroit game. How's that different from any other game? Shout out to shout out to Matt, by the way, on the staff over there. Yeah. Like, I was like, I which stadium
0: that. did they steal that crowd noise from? Because yeah. it's, it's not Ford Field. They went and got like, that Atlanta. When, when do Atlanta you ever hear not- cheers from, from Ford Field? That's
1: not. No, true. no, that never had. No, that's, no, they got that from like the, that Atlanta playoff game from a number of years ago. That's, that's what that was from. That's not. They had to get an indoor sample. You know what I mean? So you got to go to somewhere else that plays in a dome. It's uh, Yeah,
0: I think my biggest question, though, is, uh, you know, this past weekend, of course, you mentioned the no fans, uh, and Philly had to go on the road to Washington. So now they're going to play at home this week. Are they going to have, like, robots that are throwing batteries at the players on the field? Or are they just going to drop them in from, like— the sky I on Juggs drones machines, or something. Honestly, jugs machine Juggs with batteries.
1: Machines. Yeah, that was going to be my my thought on that. Yeah, absolutely. And then you know, it's sure. it's all it's a little early for it now, but you know, will they hit Santa with batteries out of the jugs machine when we get yeah, there? Yeah, exactly. It, like you
0: know. if look, I'm just saying, if they're not pelleting the opposing team with batteries, then is it really home field advantage?
1: No, so. it wouldn't even be Philly. It w- what would be the? It's not even Philly at that point. <laughs> I mean it's so central to their identity as a franchise that I don't know what you would do without that. It'd be really, really awkward and weird.
0: All right. Well, now that we've lost that entire audience. Yeah, they all, uh,
1: Yeah, but we gained so many Cowboys here. fans, so many Cowboys people just turned this up and subscribed that it's kind of six in one hand, half dozen in the other. You know what I'm saying? Sure. It,
0: sure. Uh that that makes sense. We'll take that. We'll take what we can get, really. We'll, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll
1: defend the home zone where you live. We'll get yeah, we'll get all fine. the charity. <laughs> that's fine.
0: We'll take it. All right. Uh, let's move on. We'll we'll start off with the news. So the biggest thing this week, obviously, Michael Thomas being out for quote unquote several weeks. Initially, it was oh hey Michael Thomas looked okay, but he had a five, not overly concerned. Then it was hey, he's got an ankle sprain, but he'll be day to day. Don't worry about it. Just. There's nothing to see here. Keep it moving. And then the very next day, oh, never mind. It's a high ankle sprain. He's going to miss time. So high ankle sprain, typically best guess is about four to six weeks. Last year, we saw Saquon Barkley come back after exactly four weeks. Uh, Of course, he still took a couple weeks to get acclimated before cranking it up at the end of the year. The concerning one was Alvin Kamara on the same team, came back after just three weeks, only two games missed. And he did not look the same the rest of the season. He said it bothered him all year in the offseason. So, I mean, are, are you concerned about them rushing him back? And if you're a Michael Thomas owner, how panicked are you right now?
1: So, that's actually exactly kind of how I feel about it. This is unfor- the unfortunate nature of the NFL, and that the high ankle sprain is different from the regular ankle sprain. You're talking about an injury that is much harder to recover from, it doesn't heal quickly. And because of the nature of the NFL, players typically try to run back after about 3 weeks when in reality it's a 6 week injury for most players. They try to come back in 3 and then the biggest issue here is that that is an injury that is particularly susceptible to getting re-aggravated. It's the kind of thing that you can have a flare up in the middle of a game, cut wrong, do something just slightly different than you normally would, boom, you're right back where you started, you've reaggravated it, you've got to start the whole process over again. And that's that is that is very concerning given what you had to invest to have Michael Thomas on your football team. So I anticipate that that's likely what we're going to see. It should probably be a six-week injury. He's probably going to be back in, in three. And while I would concede he's a superior athlete, the problem is, is that just like Alvin Kamara, you'll see it. A high ankle sprain limits your ability to have burst, it limits your ability to cut, and it just makes you kind of a shell of your former self. Now, because of this, check out the trade tables that went up yesterday, written by me at nonsense underscore Neil, and written by Wes Smith that's going up tomorrow morning. No relation. Uh, if you don't like my opinion, check his. But he and I did the exact same thing. Michael Thomas fell down the trade table and cut to everybody dropping their monocle in their drink, wherever they are, about that. But if you're telling me that he's going to miss, I'm going to call it three games because, again, we're just kind of guesstimating here. But in reality, it's going to limit him for at least six. Well, he can't really attain wide receiver one anymore. That's just not really how that's going to work. The position is too deep. There's too many other players that are right on his heels. And so I had to adjust. Now, that being said, he's at wide receiver four for the rest of the way at this point. And we'll adjust as we get more information like you'd have to do. But the big note, and I actually wrote this up in the trade table, so feel free to check out my full thoughts there. But the biggest takeaway here is you've got to be patient. And I hope your team is deep enough that you can kind of backfill and still try to win some games because now is when you're going to gar- start seeing the garbage trade offers hit your inbox. If you're the person that has Michael Thomas, my, I wrote it in all caps, do not panic sell. If you want to trade Michael Thomas, cause your team can't weather that then I understand because you're not deep enough to kind of, to actually be competitive and win games and you feel that way. Fine. Here's the thing. You have to make sure you get compensated to the full value that you can get. So use the trade table, make sure that you do not panic sell him for pennies on the dollar at this point. And if it was me, I'd be waiting for a few weeks to try and just kind of ride this whole thing out. Hopefully my team is deep enough that I can backfill and still be competitive. But to to answer in a word, I'm very concerned.
0: The the problem is that if this happened in the middle of the season, like with Saquon last year, with Saquon, it happened in week, I want to say three after the third game of the season. Uh, we found out about this, and he missed the next four. So you could have a situation like that where you have a team that's three and O, and they feel like, oh well, I'm already three and O. Saquon would be the icing on the cake. I'll pay this guy name value for Saquon because when he comes back, I'm set. I- I'm just I'm a playoff team, and I'm going to run the table with Saquon. And a lot of people succeeded doing that because this happened in week one. It's going to be very difficult to get people to buy into the idea that you can have Michael Thomas now, and it doesn't matter if you lose without him. E- even if someone's one and zero and you're zero and one with Michael Thomas, it's hard to talk them into, "Oh yeah, come get Michael Thomas for name value," and he's going to miss the next four to six weeks potentially. Like that could just crush your whole season if you pay the name value for it. So if I, if me personally, I'm not even putting a lowball offer out there for Michael Thomas to acquire him because I don't even know when he's going to come back. And when he does come back, how good he's going to be out there to your point with the cutting, the route running, the the making the moves you have to do with the ankles. We've seen this be an issue. Even when Saquon came back after four weeks, I understand it's running backs with Barkley and Camara, but it's the same thing. You're running the routes. You're, you're running uh, up and down the field, especially as a wide receiver, you're running every single play. So, I mean, for me, it's going to be nerve wracking to try to count on Michael Thomas down the stretch. If I have to do it, I will. But if you're in a standard league where you only have to start two wide receivers anyway in a flex, you probably are okay and can backfill all right and survive while he's out. But we'll see. It's possible that at the end of the year, if you're in a longer term league, that you're just looking to move Michael Thomas, get you some draft picks and start building the next year. You hate to have to already do that one weekend, but that's kind of the situation you could be in.
1: It's very unfortunate, and I stand by my statement of do not panic, sell. Just because you won't put a lowball yeah. offer out there, Steve, it does not mean that the people who have Michael Thomas are not going to start seeing their inboxes filled with going trash yeah. offers that I'm going to get asked sure. to review every week on the Fantasy Life app, and I'm just going to I'm just going to have a standard response.
0: But I'm saying. Yeah, I'm saying that I would just stand pat. So I that's, would not sell if, if I'm the owner, and I I'm, would not try to be buying low if I'm in if I'm someone who doesn't own him. But on that offense now, who's the next man up? Because I think that the general consensus is just that. Oh well, now it's the Emmanuel Sanders show, right?
1: That is the general consensus. Is that oh, it's just time for Emmanuel to. To come back and try and be a wide receiver one like we've seen him do in the past. And I think that he definitely sees an uptick in targets. I don't think it's possible for him to, you know, go down, obviously, given this. They're going <laughs> right. to spread it around a little bit more. So if you have Emmanuel Sanders, enjoy that. Because for a while, he will be the, the on paper, the wide receiver one on the Saints. And he will see an uptick in volume for sure. That's going to happen. But... <clears throat> That's not really the actionable piece of information for me from this. The thing that you could actually do, because realistically, do you really want to trade for Emmanuel Sanders on a rental? It's not like Thomas is out for the year. It'd be different if that was the case. I'm not really interested in Emmanuel Sanders unless I already had him and I feel just a little bit better about playing him. That would be the, what I would do with that. In terms of things that you could actually action, uh, Traquan Smith who's mm-hmm. a person that I am normally under no circumstances really interested in at all suddenly actually might have value and will be available in just about in a good portion of leagues out there. So if you wanted to, to take a shot on it, now is the time while you Traquan Smith truthers out there. And I know you're out there saying that he just needs his opportunity. He'd be the big winner. I also think cook sees a few more targets and, uh, to the extent that Kamara could see more targets, I'm sure that'll happen too. You know what I mean? Because Michael Thomas commands such a huge percentage of, of the total offensive snaps in production normally. It just makes you feel better about Kamara and some of the ancillary pieces. Not that you would have ever felt bad about Kamara after what he did last. I mean, he should have had six more points they took away at the end of the game there. I mean, I'm not. you're not worried about that. But some of your ancillary pieces, Cook, Sanders maybe got a little bit more valuable. And if you wanted to take your shot on Traquan Smith, that's now is your shot. Now's your time.
0: Yeah, to your point, um, the Saints, they play a lot of 11 and 21 personnel. And if you're, you're unfamiliar with those, uh, you know, you hear people throwing out those, those lists of groups uh, a bunch. What you have to remember is the first number is the running back, and the second number is the number of tight ends. And then everything else is wide receivers. So there's always 11 offensive players on the field with five offensive linemen and a quarterback, and then how do the other five pieces fit in? Well, the Saints run a lot of 11 personnel, which is one running back, one tight end, and three wide receivers. And the three wide receivers that see the most action are Michael Thomas, Traquan Smith, and Emmanuel Sanders, but they also run a ton of 21 personnel when they have both Latavius Murray and... Alvin Kamara on the field. And in that case, it's Thomas and Sanders. But with Thomas out, that just bumps Traquan Smith onto the field even more. So even though the, you're going to see, yes, an uptick for Emmanuel Sanders, maybe a little more for Jared Cook, his role doesn't really change. Alvin Kamara's role doesn't really change. Uh, he's just going to, Traquan's just going to have more opportunities. He's just going to be out there more. I'm not saying it's going to be a huge leap for him, but I'm saying he is a 25 year old wide receiver who has been in this offense for a couple of seasons while Emmanuel Sanders is still trying to get acclimated and get a rapport going with Drew Brees. Now he did look decent in week one, but if there's anybody who's the home run hitter now, especially with Ted Gid gone and Michael Thomas hurt, I mean, it is Traquan Smith in my opinion. So I think he's absolutely flex worthy at this point. I mean, as long as Michael Thomas is out, he's going to get the volume to at least be rostered and be in flex consideration on a weekly basis.
1: Sure. Absolutely. And the, the best part about that is, is he's still largely very available. So yep. if you're looking for help, that's a, that's a good one. I will, I will warn you uh caveat on tour buyer beware on that because we've, If you're new to fantasy football, for example, and you've never really seen Traquan Smith play, it's not always pretty. And I don't mean to say he's untalented. It's just he's not always where he's supposed to be, unfortunately, in terms of the play and when the ball is released and where he is in relation to said ball. So you're going to have some uh, some moments where you'll be watching and you'll just be like, what, what, what happened? What, what, what was that? As he just as Drew Brees throws it out of bounds because <laughs> the play is dead because wants not where he's, where he's supposed to be. So you will have some of that, but I agree with you. Flex consideration for sure.
0: Meanwhile, uh, Blake Jarwin in the Sunday night game tore his ACL. The guys on the Sunday night show mentioned it a little bit. Uh, the next man up is going to be Dalton Schultz. But again, we talked about this in the offseason. Blake Jarwin was not one of our guys. Because we figured you've already got Zeke and the three wideouts, too many mouths to feed. Blake Jarwin has never shown any explosive athleticism that leads us to believe that he's going to be some huge playmaker for them. And then he comes out, gets basically ignored the entire first half on his second target of the game, tears his ACL. So now he's done for the year. To you, does this really affect anything? Does it matter? Does it matter for the Cowboys? Does it matter for tight end situation? No, no. All right. I'm I'm agreeing with you there. Uh, If you were one of these people who was a Blake Jarwin truther, obviously I know you're not. Neither on the Friday show. Let's say you were a Blake Jarwin truther and you were taking Blake Jarwin as your tight end one, which did happen a lot and is an unfortunate mistake. Yes. Uh, Who is somebody, because I don't think it's Schultz, who is somebody that you can pick up off waivers or you should be looking at do you think to fill that tight end void for
1: you? Well, to all the people who mentioned it, who asked me that question over the weekend, the answer is very simple. It's Dallas Goddard in Philly. Doesn't even have to go. Don't even have to go real far. That, that up until up until that point, he'd been widely available. Uh, that was the waiver claim. Now let's say you missed out on that. Uh, I'm going to go back to the well in terms of C.J. Uzama. C.J. Uzama yeah. for the Bengals uh, is just going to continually put up eight to ten points every week. And he's going to do that until he gets hurt. That's just their offense. That's, and they, he, they need a safety blanket for Burrow. He, uh, he, he, he was up until the very end of the game. He was outscoring Tyler Boyd. Take that, Tyler Boyd Truthers. You know, where's, your, where's your messiah now? The, uh, the, that, that, whole, that whole situation is where I would go there. And then the final uh, note on that, if you missed out on Goddard and CJ Osama somehow isn't available in your league, um, I'm going with Logan Thomas for the Washington football team, the DC Riveras. Uh, because it's not going to be pretty, but they do utilize the tight end there. He's kind of a journeyman type of deal, but he separated himself and he's not going to catch a touchdown every week, but he did do that in week one. And he would be my third choice.
0: Yeah. Logan Thomas, an interesting one. He got a huge amount of the target share. He did is the big thing there. So, you know, he's involved in the offense. Also, you know, I have to say it, my boy. Janu is only yeah, owned I've... in twenty five percent of ESPN <laughs> leagues right now. Go out and do yourself a I favor. Didn't, I didn't bring it up because I knew Genu. that
1: I, I saved it for you. Uh, I yeah. know you want that yeah. one. Thank
0: you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, CJ Uzama is owned in 07 percent of ESPN which leagues, which is insane. So
1: that's just you totally can definitely
0: insane. have that. Um, but yes, Janu Smith for sure, Logan Thomas, as you mentioned, and then if you're in the forty percent of Leagues that do not own Dallas Goddard. I don't know what those leagues are doing, but go add Dallas
1: Goddard. That's your choice number one for <laughs> sure on that list. Go do that right away. um Wow, well, some of those leagues didn't watch Week One. Apparently, how do I get? Those? I guess not. Play, let's yeah. play that league
0: then. Meanwhile. A uh, little running back news. You've got Le'Veon Bell who went to the IR. Again, remember, because of COVID, they had the new IR stipulation where you only have to be on it for three weeks. So he's placed on the temporary IR. He will miss at least the next three games. He looked like garbage anyway. Adam Gase continues to hate him. He got his dream come true and signed Kalen Bellage to replace him on the roster. He's completely rebuilt the 2017 you man, Miami backfield. You
1: can't make this up. You can't write fiction that's this good with this guy running this team. It's unbelievable.
0: Oh, it's ridiculous. So, yes, now it is Frank Gore starting with Kalen of him up. Of and course it is.
1: Of course it is.
0: LaMichael Perrine also lingering around there in the backfield. It, Avoid it the, the entire running situation. It, in New
1: it York. is the 2017 Dolphin. It is unbelievable that he managed to get all the band back together and he went and got the set and just got all of his favorite buddies are back, and I agree with you. None of it is r- rosterable. None of it.
0: And I'm, I'm going to tell you this as well. Uh, one, one of the most dropped players, 8% dropped, was Le'Veon Bell. He went from 100% ownership down to like 91 or 92. I'm still not even r- rostering that. I still don't even want it for free. I'm not interested in it. Like it's, that is such a horrible situation and he has done nothing but look bad that I don't want any part of it, even if I can have it for free. So don't talk to me about buy low on Le'Veon Bell or throw him on an IR spot and hold out hope. No, there's no hope. Just don't,
1: just stop it. Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Stop. He's going to, you can't, you can't hold him until the end of the year you know what i mean and hope for something in the situation to change because he's going to be back in like three weeks and he'll be starting again and the whole cycle starts over so i agree with that too unfortunately boy that's really sad boy adam gase running back killer man oh man that's the narrative speaking
0: of uh trying to make fetch happen i was told that james connor was a workhorse Uh, what happened to
1: that the internet told told,
0: that james connor would be force-fed
1: Steve, the internet told me that there monster. was a hat that I could wear that would help me regrow my hair, okay? Like the internet says all sorts of crazy things that that aren't that aren't real. So that's <laughs> par for the, the cool. most
0: honestly, the most disappointing part of the whole James Conner Monday Night Football story is the fact that he got hurt. Because up until he got hurt, he looked like trash and it was a fifty fifty split between him and Benny Snell, and Benny Snell looked like the better running back. Benny Snell was the more talented player of the two, and the narrative changed to, oh, well, James Conner just hurt again. No, he's bad. He (laughs) is bad. That is the narrative. He is just not good. Stop trying to force James Conner on me. Like he is some kind of resurgent running back that's going to be a top five guy for you that you stole late in the draft. Well, There's a wanna, reason he went late in the draft.
1: You want to know why, why I can tell people to listen to the show or care what we have to say to a certain extent? is because when you when I went to do rankings this week, Steve, want to guess who in the Fantasy Pro's ECR for week two was running back 10. I'll give you one guess.
0: Uh, James Conner. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I and I uh, I immediately had to rectify that situation because no, and one other thing on here, did you like how Jalen Samuels even with, even without James Conner being there, Jalen Samuels couldn't get on the field? So stop. Yeah, that's the end of that. We're done having that conversation now. Finally, two years later, Benny Snell is the one you want. He was widely picked up on waivers by the fantasy community uh, uh, this morning. Good job. Yeah. That's smart because he's going to be basically. Even with Connor theoretically not missing any games, Benny Snell's the one you want to own. He's an, he's a borderline RB, too. Some of you out there who love to play zero RB, this is your poster boy. This is your, your I didn't have to pay for it, I'm just going to go get it type of situation. And there's a few other guys that were that popped across the weekend that we could talk about that would fall into that category, too. But Benny Snell is basically the Steelers running back, for me, that you would want for more or less the rest of the season. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I mean, we've, we talked about it. He's just not good. Yep. Connor is just horrible. He's probably going to try to play this week. They said that he has a real chance to play with his ankle injury. He had an ankle sprain, but his low ankle, not high. Again, key differential. But he has a history of injury problems. He's more than likely going to re-aggravate it at some point Even if he doesn't, they're going to limit his touches. And even before he got hurt, they were splitting the carries between Connor and Benny Snell. And let's not forget about our guy. As soon as he's cleared, Anthony McFarlane will be on the active roster and he will have a change of pace role on this roster. And eventually I am telling you, he will have a shot to be the starter in Pittsburgh this season.
1: Because all he has to do is beat out Benny Snell. Look, we're talking about exactly. Benny Snell. And then Benny Snell didn't even have that good of a game. He was just serviceable. He, he just didn't crash the car when he got the opportunity. He didn't do anything to, like, blow you away. Like, it's, it, there was none of that. But there is some meat on that bone for you, given the price tag. And I agree with that. Exactly. Anthony McFarland is the one that you want. If you have IR slots, that's a great use of an IR slot is Anthony yeah. McFarland. That's one of those I- IR, I'll cut somebody, pick him up, put him on the IR slot, and then go pick up a guy I cut. I'll go play that little game with people. That's a, that's a solid choice right now. I cannot stress that enough. McFarland is the guy eventually, down the line, because Benny Snell's never going to keep his job all to himself.
0: All right, Neil, well, let's go through the rest of week one right after we hear from our guys at Monkey Knife Fight. Our friends at Monkey Knife Fight combine the fun and excitement of Vegas with DFS to make the ultimate daily fantasy prop game.
1: That's right, and there are three ways for you to play, Stat Shootout, Rapid Fire, and more or less.
0: In Stat Shootout, you put together a two or three player team that'll accumulate the most of whatever stat type you've chosen to play, like touchdowns, total yards, receptions, etc. Then you choose one of the three target goals for that stat. If your team exceeds the chosen goal, then you win. And the higher the target goal that you choose, the more you can win.
1: So if I choose a three-man team for touchdowns, I can set the target at one and a half touchdowns to pay out one and a half times the entry fee, or I can go big with a target of three and a half touchdowns to pay out 15 times the entry.
0: I mean, obviously you go big or you go home.
1: Obviously. Then there's rapid fire where you select your team by choosing the highest scoring player in multiple head-to-head matchups of statistical categories, like who has more receptions this week, Michael Thomas or Julio Jones. Each contest will tell you how many matchups you need to get right in order to win, but again, more risk, the higher the reward.
0: Sure, I mean, I only need to get two out of three matchups right to win one and a half times my entry, but if I can get five out of five, I'm looking at that 15 times payout again can buy me a lot of Johnu Smith jerseys with that money, Neil.
1: You sure can. Finally, there's more or less. Just depending on the contest, you'll be giving two to six players and their statistic targets for the game, like Cam Newton with 233 and a half passing yards against Miami. You have to decide if that player will get more or less than that target.
0: But just like the others, more or less increases the payout, the more risk you take. However, it offers the highest return as well so you can go two for two to get that basic one and a half times payout if that's what you want to play but if you've got the nerve you can attempt to go six for six and hit the 30 times payout so many john new
1: jerseys well the only thing better than winning money from monkey knife fight is getting money from monkey knife fight for free
0: oh do love the free
1: just go to monkey knife fight to sign up for a free account When you make your first deposit, use promo code nonsense. That's promo code nonsense. And Monkey Knife Fight will match your deposit up to $50.
0: This is literally playing with house money, guys. So go to Monkey Knife Fight and use promo code nonsense, N-O-N-S-E-N-S-E, and get in on the action this weekend. All right. So again, Neil, we're pounding the table to not overreact to things that we saw in week one. It's just one week. It's just one game based on this. You know, Sammy, if we only looked at week one ever, Sammy Watkins would be the greatest wide receiver in NFL history. That's a fact. Uh, him and Deshaun Jackson. Yep. But so again, don't overreact to week one, either positively or negatively. If you had a player that was your guy that you planted your flag for and he had a good week one. Pump the brakes a little bit. It's one out of 16. Let's see how things go. But there are some situations where we raised our eyebrows a little bit to steal a phrase from Mr. Aiden, where situations that you definitely need to monitor. And it was two running back situations that really popped out for, well, me, at least. I know the one that popped out for the both of us was the Ravens running back situation. Neil, what happened in Baltimore this weekend?
1: Oh, it's. It's, it's bad days for folks like myself. It, it's the biggest mea culpa I'm going to have to take probably all season is my belief in the man, the myth, the legend, Mark Ingram. Uh, boy, didn't see this coming. So it's all your JK Dobbins believers out there of which the her legion. Uh, you were right through one week. Mark Ingram did get the lion's share of the carries 10 to seven and just looked pedestrian in a word. The entire time he immediately started losing carries to JK Dobbins who had seven, but the more alarming thing is JK Dobbins got all the red zone work and capped it off with two touchdowns, which is very bad if you're the Mark Ingram owner, because we never anticipated that this would happen so quickly. There's also the weird fluke that happened that uh, none of the running backs received any targets in that game against Cleveland. And it was distressing because they were creaming Cleveland the whole game. In a game that they dominated Cleveland from start to finish, none of the running backs saw a target. And they only ran the ball 17 times. So that's distressing all around. They're not getting the volume through one game that we thought they would, that they historically have had in this system. And on top of it, if you have Mark Ingram, you watch J.K. Dobbins get all the red zone work, look better than Mark Ingram, and score twice to really put that bug in the coaching staff's mind that we can trust this guy when we get down near the goal line and even in the red zone. That is all that spells some very bad realizations for Mark Ingram owners out there. Uh, and if you have Mark Ingram, you're trying to manage through that on your roster. You're probably going to be looking for other options. Unfortunately, this is my takeaway and you don't want to overreact to week one. So I'm not cutting Mark Ingram. I'm not taking a low ball trade for Mark Ingram, but Am I playing Mark Ingram in week two? If I have other options, I can tell you personally that because I'm so in on Mark Ingram from, from throughout the preseason, uh, I'm playing Naheem Hines in a matchup over, over Mark Ingram. We'll get to Naheem Hines at some point here, but especially in PPR, so very distressing. And if you have uh, J.K. Dobbins, you might have gotten an incredible steal out of these drafts, even with the seven, seventh rounder that you likely had to spend to get him, because if that's going to be the splits, He's going he's gonna to finish not only ahead of, our, of Mark Ingram, but he's going to finish ahead of that seventh round uh, ADP you had to play.
0: Uh, yeah, to your point, it was odd because last year on average, the running backs for the Ravens had 24 carries a game and four targets per game. And in a game where they were dismantling the Browns and just doing basically whatever they wanted, they only had 24 total running back carries and no targets to the RBs. So they were involved less than ever. Um, but the offense as a whole just ran less plays and it's probably because they were in more positive situations than normal. Uh, thank you, Baker Mayfield for putting them in. uh, It it helps when you're starting in Cleveland territory, every other drive.
1: No kidding.
0: Um, but yes, the snap count was basically a 50, 50 split between Dobbins and Ingram. Uh, Gus Edwards didn't really get involved until the fourth quarter when they were salting it away. Otherwise, again, 23 snaps for Dobbins, 21 for Ingram, but 10 opportunities for Ingram to Dobbins, seven. So he still was leaned on slightly more. The issue is the red zone work. And we all believe that when the passes come for the running backs, it'll be to Dobbins anyway. Again, I'm not overreacting. I'm not completely alarmed by this. It's just something to monitor and keep an eye on because, like you said, what's the fastest car on the road? The rental car. We all believed that Mark Ingram was going to be the guy that they were just going to run the tread off the tires this season. And to this point, they're just giving the rookie his shot.
1: Yeah, a little earlier than I thought that would happen. We all acknowledged that it was going to happen at some point. The writing was on the wall. But never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that that would be happening in week one. I thought we'd be having this conversation in week eight, week ten.
0: Right, and again, uh, two of Dobbins' seven carries came in the red zone, and he happened to convert both of them for touchdowns. But the uh, the alarming part would be that none of Ingram's carries came in the red zone. Literally, as soon as they got to the 20-yard line, he trotted off the field, and Dobbins came in, and they were just using different looks to make it look like passing plays, basically, and get in the end zone. It worked. It was effective for an NFL standpoint, but from fantasy— terrifying. Uh, The other one for me was the Browns running back situation. So we talked a lot about Nick Chubb and his usage, how he was a top 10 guy last year um, when Kareem Hunt was out. But then after he came back from the suspension, Kareem Hunt ended up finishing the year as a top 20 running back the back half of the season. And during that time, he actually finished only three spots behind Nick Chubb, who finished RB 15 in that same stretch. Five of the eight games last year in PPR scoring, Kareem Hunt outscored Nick Chubb. We also talked about the fact that uh, the most alarming thing, at least to me, was that Kareem Hunt was getting a lot of red zone opportunities because last year only Frank Gore had more failed opportunities in the red zone than Nick Chubb. So now all of a sudden they bring in a new head coach Kevin Stefanski comes over from Minnesota. Who's had Dalvin cook for the last couple of years. And he sees Kareem hunt before the season begins, right before the season begins. When we're talking about hunt being a free agent and where's he going to go to be the RB one somewhere next year? Well, he may be the RB one somewhere right now <laughs> because they paid him in extension to stay two more years. He's making more money right now than Nick Chubb is. And if you're looking at the snaps, it was a 50-50 split. It was 36 for Hunt, 35 for Chubb. Kareem Hunt got literally all the pass-catching work. There was only one target to Nick Chubb, and it was in the first half. In the first half of the game, they each had six carries. Kareem Hunt had two targets to Chubb's one. But in the second half, Chubb had just four rush attempts, while Kareem Hunt had seven. He got All of the red zone work, and he had five additional targets. You could say it's script because it's from the same game. So they lost 38-6. to They were trailing and chasing points the whole time. Kareem Hunt's the pass catching back. You know, if they're in positive situations, maybe they lean more Nick Chubb. But we saw that Browns team. We've seen this Browns team for a while now. When are they ever in positive situations?
1: When is it ever positive game script? Long time, long time before they got moved to Baltimore. Actually, a very sad story. Actually, is probably the answer. So,
0: if Nick Chubb is not getting the goal line work, and the only way he has value is he's going to rack up yards when they're winning games, how valuable is Nick Chubb anymore?
1: So I can actually get into that. Uh, so I referenced the trade table earlier, and I'm going to go back to the well here. Uh, the biggest, we'll talk about it in a, in, a, in a little bit briefer detail here later on, but the big winner was Josh Jacobs. Well, one of the big, especially at the top of the table, one of the big losers was Nick Chubb, because we talked about this the day after it happened. And I went back to the lab and started kind of taking a deep dive on it. And I came across a lot of the same stats you just rattled off. So I won't go through them again. Just rewind to the hit back 30 on, uh, on Anchor if you want to hear <laughs> all those stats again. Uh, but for all those reasons, Nick Chubb had to come down. It, uh, it's gotta, it's gotta have an eyebrow raise effect for you because of what you had to invest to be able to have the privilege of managing Nick Chubb on your team all year. If he's not going to get the volume and he's not going to get the pass catching work and he's not going to get the red zone work, well, then that's a gross overpayment. You can't, you can't trust it. And if the only, and to your point, if the, if the only way that he's going to find sustained success and get that volume is in games where the Browns are winning. We just talked about how bad Baker Mayfield looked again. Odell Beckham got 10 targets, caught two of them. Like, that's, that's hideous. That's right back. It looks like Freddie Kitchens' Browns 2.0 out there. You can't, you can't count on that. And again, it's week one. We don't want to overreact. There, might be be, there should be better days ahead, we hope. But given the collapse that that team went through, especially last year when the expectations were so high, I'm just not convinced that any of them outside of Jarvis Landry are going to be worth what you had to invest to acquire them in the draft, to be honest. And also, uh, Nick Chubb, he felt like four or five spots. It's pretty hard to fall that far in one week. But given the performances by guys like Todd Gurley, Chris Carson, David Johnson, these are all guys that I, at this point, if I was looking at the trade market and trying to acquire who do I want to invest in to make my team better any of those three guys over Nick Chubb. Would you, would you push back on that? No. Yeah. So that's the point. He's got to come down the table. And if I'm the person who drafted Nick Chubb, I'm, you don't have better options because you had to invest so much. So you're going to have to kind of ride it out. But this, this is, is a a big eyebrow raise and a, uh, a situation that I'll be monitoring. You'll, you'll want to monitor. I'm really going to be paying attention. If I have Nick Chubb to that Thursday night game, that most, most people are just going to, probably even not watch or have a very passive interest in uh if i'm if i have nick chubb in fantasy i'm glued to that game because if they can't get a lead against cincinnati and i know it's a division game and it's a thursday night and those are always a little wonky but i'm telling if if you can't get traction against cincinnati and try and get a lead to where you might be able to see nick chubb return to his normal kind of production level that we're used to if they can't do that, then man, oh man, would I have alarm bells ringing in my head? Well,
0: it's not even that. It's if they are in a competitive game, if it is close or they are winning and they're not using Nick Chubb and they're still forcing it to Kareem Hunt. Yeah. That, you got to bail. It's, I, it's, I mean.
1: Yeah. At that point, you it, might have to go find a Rube. Go find yep. a Rube in your league and, uh, and figure it out. And I hate doing trades. As, we, as anyone who's followed me for a long time knows, I hate doing trades before week four. I feel like it's too early. I feel like we don't know enough. To, to like really do it. But with a situation like that, no, 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 I'm not playing with that. That seems like an obvious way to get burnt.
0: All right, Neil. So other than those two running back situations, uh, do you have any other big takeaways from week one?
1: Uh, just things not to necessarily overreact to, but uh, Josh Jacobs. So the big winner from week one for the, as far as the table goes is Josh Jacobs. And you may be wondering like, well, Josh Jacobs is good and he had a good game. Why are you wasting my time talking about that? Well, here's why. Because Josh Jacobs had 25 rushes for 93 yards, and he had three scores. That's all great. Frankly, it's not that surprising in any way. And it's weird, that that's not the interesting part of this. What is interesting is that he had four receptions on six targets for 46 yards. That was not part of the preseason analysis. They did mention that in Raider camp, that they were going to try and get him more involved in the passing game. And to be perfectly frank about it, we downplayed it as just coach speak, as we say. Listen to these coaches and these front office people; they have no incentive to tell you the truth. So that right there is pay dirt for the Josh Jacobs uh, teams in your league. If I have Josh Jacobs, I'm over the moon. I love my life. And he was the big winner. That was one of my big takeaways: was if he's actually going to get all the rushing production, which we actually had him projected for, plus he gets four receptions a game, top seven running back, he would have been consensus RB seven, no questions. He would have even possibly been as high as six. He might have pipped Derrick Henry in certain situations. So what about you? What was your, I know, I know we have a couple to, to pop through here, but what was, what's, what's, a, what's one that you took away?
0: Uh, so I had a few. Uh, so first of all, the Chiefs math, like we've talked about several times, how it just doesn't add up. And CEH's work on the ground from that Thursday night game that you and I never really had a chance to talk about. CEH looked good in his first game in his NFL debut. However, he got 25 carries which was the most of any running back in basically the Andy Reid era in Kansas City. So they ran the ball way more than they normally do. Uh and he got zero targets. Was not used at all in the passing game just like we drew it up, right? Yep, exactly no, how
1: everybody had it.
0: We talked about it all year. The Kansas City math doesn't make sense. You're making up random numbers at that point when you have Tyreek Hill top 5 at his position. You have CEH top five at his position, Patrick Mahomes top five, Travis. Kel- you can't just throw them all in the top because they're Kansas city. So it's their offense. They're just going to do it from that game. CEH finished his RB 11, had a good week. Travis Kelsey finished PPR tight end four, had a good week. Tyree kill was wide receiver 24. McColl Hardman was a ghost. Patrick Mahomes was QB 14. If CEH is going to go off and have a huge year, It's because he gets rushing volume, and everybody in the passing game suffers. If the passing game goes up, Mahomes does not check down. He just doesn't. He's never thrown, on average, more than three targets a game to running backs. They don't get involved in the passing game. So if they throw a lot, then sure, Tyreek Hill could have a good year, Mahomes can be good, and Kelsey can be good, but CEH will be a back-end RB two. That's just math. That's just how it works. You can't have it both ways. So it's Well, just, the, indi-
1: the industry would have you believe otherwise, as we've covered yeah. many times uh, on this throughout the, the run-up to the season. The math just does not make any sense.
0: To your point, uh, it was nice to see Josh Jacobs in the past game, but also Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry. Yes. Of course, it was a shame to see Jonathan Taylor get into the game the way that he did, because Marlon Mack looked good before uh, he got that injury and went down for the year. But now it's the Jonathan Taylor show. So him and Naheem Hines, it appears, are going to split pass work, which we never saw coming. But Jonathan Taylor is going to be the goal back and have the between the twenties stuff. So
1: and Naheem Hines I mean, goes top to ten. Naheem Hines moves movie. up to a for sure flex consideration to borderline RB two. Just based on the amount of checkdowns that they're actually going to have and the fact that even before the Mac injury, Naheem Hines was actually he had he was out. He had like seven rushes, something like that beforehand. So Naheem Hines will be heavily involved. And Jonathan Taylor is obviously the one you want. He's the RB1. He's the one you want to start. But if I can still pick up Naheem Hines uh, after the show, I believe he's still available in 30% of leagues from checking it before we started. Uh, I'm absolutely doing that. And he's a... Well, Steve, it's not how you and I wanted to be right, candidly, about our love for Naheem Hines. (laughs) that goes back many years when no one cares. But it's going to pay off. It looks like so. Yeah. And then I'll do another one real quick. Uh, another big takeaway, the Philadelphia offensive line. Woof.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Woof. Our One one of our only misses from the weekend was Boston Scott having a good weekend. And I, I would say that that's less on Boston Scott than it yes. is that line because the no running back was going to be able to do anything behind that line. So until they start getting healthy up front, I don't care who the running back is. Miles Sanders, some free agent off the street, whoever. I don't want any part of that Philly backfield. Gross. Yeah, uh, Austin Eckler not being used in the past game was another one. That's a good one.
1: Yep. That's, a, um, that's because again,
0: that's his whole thing. I, I posted that earlier. Uh, I would give credit for the tweet if I had it offhand, but I do not. Um, but uh, again, normally we see Austin Eckler used all over the field. We saw him play a lot in the slot and on the outside, he lined up in literally zero wide receiver situations in week one. And historically speaking, even with LaShawn McCoy in his prime, Tyrod Taylor did not check down to running backs ever. When he was a starter in Buffalo, there was no reason to believe he was going to do it again here. That was Phillip rivers. That, That was Phillip rivers. And we saw that with Phillip rivers with the Colts. Now throwing it to Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. So Tyrod Taylor just does not check down ever to running backs. He didn't this past week. I don't think it's going to change throughout this season. And even with workhorse volume, Joshua Kelly is good enough in the red zone that I don't know how much value Austin Eckler actually is going to have. So I would tread lightly there. Um, do you have anything else on your sheet, Neil?
1: Other than that? No, other than to say that, uh, Josh Kelly and Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson, and we'll get into this more in the next section, are all folks that kind of pop off the page at this point. They were lightly drafted. They were values in the draft. And if any of those three guys is still available, given the performances we saw across week one with struggles of people's boyfriends, i.e. Cam Ackers, Austin Eckler, those are all players that I've got an eye on on the waiver wire because you could get real production out of any of those three guys. They all are going to be involved enough based on what we've seen so far that they will carry actual value.
0: Uh, Yeah, the last couple for me. So a really interesting stat. Over the last 10 seasons, there have only been three instances now. uh, So since 2010, there have only been three instances where one team has had three wide receivers go for over 100 yards receiving in the same game. 2013, The Giants had Victor Cruz, Hakeem Nix, and Ruben Randall all go over 100. 2018, the Rams had Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, and Robert Woods do it. And then this week, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Russell Gage did it for the Atlanta Falcons. They are all in the top 12 of wide receiver right now because of it in PPR. Everyone's talking about Ridley and, uh, yeah, how we drew it up, right? Everyone's talking about Ridley and his breakout season and dunking about, yeah, we nailed it. Calvin Ridley's the man. You're not wrong. Calvin Ridley's great. Nobody was ever disputing that. But what we've been talking about all offseason is why are you fading Russell Gage? Because he is the third guy, and he's going to have value, and I just think that this proves he is a legit factor in that offense, much more so than Hayden Hurst. And I think this carries through the season, but it feels like it's being completely overlooked and ignored. So I I would definitely keep my eye on that. And if Russell Gage is still available in your league, I would go pick him up
1: hundred percent. He's got that Muhammad Sanu role. Yes, that's, that's that's a, that's a valuable role as we know.
0: And then the other one uh, that I will note, you and I both know I am far from a Josh Allen guy. Okay. (laughs) I am definitely not a Josh Allen truther to say the least. However, he finished QB three in week one in his career. They get Miami this week. Okay. Get this against Miami in the four games in his career. He has started against the Dolphins. He has finished as QB two, QB one, QB 10 and QB one. He averages 31.8 points per game against the Dolphins. So when you're setting your draft Kings or FanDuel lineup this weekend, <laughs> make sure you got Josh
1: Allen in there. So All right. There you that, go. That's you're welcome, actually, America. Hey, we actually did useful, useful advice for the first yeah. time in four years. We did it.
0: We did it. We managed to do it. All right. So again, back to overreactions from week one. What do people love to do when they overreact, Neil? They bail on their preseason darlings way too soon. Players you should be targeting because they were a bad drop today for no apparent reason number one. And this is it's partly because he's my boyfriend and a little bit bitter, but I call this affectionately the Matthew Barry effect uh, because Daniel Jones was the number one dropped quarterback (laughs) this week. Uh, 6.6% of leagues put Daniel Jones on waivers. And I feel like that's a lot of, you know, I did the math. I did the projections. I went through all this in March And I looked at it and I said, look, Neil, when you go back through it, I think Daniel Jones is going to be a top 10 guy. I've been talking about this for six months now. And then what happens? We go through the draft. We go through all this. And then Matthew Berry comes out. Oh, you know what? I Daniel Jones is going to be good this year. And then everybody who just follows the Pied Piper decides that, oh, Matthew Berry said it. So Daniel Jones is a guy I got a target earlier. So all of a sudden I had to jump up two rounds in ADP to get my guy and one week in he finishes his QB 16 and everybody's ready to, to bail and just decide that, Oh, well, I don't want that for the record. Daniel Jones finished his QB 16. He finished one point behind Patrick Mahomes. One point. I don't see anyone dropping Patrick Mahomes. (laughs) He finished two points ahead of Dak. Where's all the Dak cuts. Uh, He finished three points ahead of Carson Wentz. Did everybody go cut Carson Wentz and I missed it? No, it's Daniel Jones is the guy that people are bailing on. And who did he play? The Steelers. Other than playing the Seahawks in Seattle and the Ravens in Baltimore later this year, this was his hardest matchup of the season, and he still put up 20 points and was QB 16. He's going to have a ridiculous year if somebody was foolish enough to go cut Daniel Jones. Go pick him up. He's available in fifty percent of leagues. Enjoy. You're welcome. You're welcome, oh, America.
1: Thousand percent. And that was funny because I was going to reference that because about a week before the season, you and I, because I had Daniel Jones QB QB eight all preseason. Yeah, didn't change it QB eight because he was our shot call guy that we thought nobody would would like. And then Matthew Berry a week before the season uh, put out that that video. It's like oh, I really like Daniel Jones, and suddenly the internet broke its back. Uh, the second guy on our list, though, was, is also interesting. Uh, Daryl Henderson Jr. out there in L.A. playing for the Rams. So he's been nursing an injury for the last few weeks. Cam Akers did not impress, and Malcolm Brown did. And I think this is just a way overreaction to the Malcolm yeah. Brown week one yeah. game that he put up. And he yeah, looked good. I remember
0: Brown had a 50-50 snap share. But again, it wasn't that Henderson isn't good. It's that he was hurt.
1: Yes. And I feel like that's been so Henderson... Overlooked.
0: Yeah, when Henderson is back healthy, he's going to share those early down uh, carries with Akers, and it's still going to be Malcolm Brown as the pass catcher, but Henderson's going to have every chance to be the goal back on this team and have a real fantasy role. So uh, right now available in uh, 45% of leagues, I would go do that. Remember McCole Hardman? He was the industry darling all offseason, and he was going to have a breakout year. Everybody wants everything to do with this offense for Kansas city. Cause they're going to put up giant numbers, but 15% of leagues dropped McCole Hardman. So <laughs> they just completely gave up on that after week one, because apparently they believe Sammy Watkins is back. I don't know. I just, I'd say that, or maybe guess, they were
1: threatened by Demarcus Robinson getting more involved, but either way, I think yeah. it's way too early to cut bait
0: on. on no. Yeah. Nicole I would, Hard- if you picked up Sammy Watkins, what a horrible mistake that was. I would go grab McCole Hardman for sure. <laughs> Uh, rookie Justin Jefferson was cut in 10% of leagues. He's now owned in under 50% of ESPN leagues. That's craziness. Yes. He didn't see a lot of snaps. Yes. He's still getting adjusted to the offense. He's a rookie folks. And if you saw how horrible that Vikings defense is, they're going to throw the ball a lot this year. Yeah.
1: We're, we're going to be wrong about Adam Thielen from preseason if they're going to have pretty to sure that much. is correct and, that, yes. and we're, we're going to end up having to take a take a mea culpa on that the other yep. one that i think is interesting from this list is latadius murray cutting eight percent of leagues and this well, Anthony is an tony pollard and pollard I mean, and this, this happens them. well this happens every year we watch this happen people draft their handcuffs a lot of the time in some cases and then it's week one and they, they're like well i don't need this so they just cut it hoping that nobody else will go and pick it up and i'll tell you i'm exactly the guy who will go and do that if you cut Latavius Murray, I am going to go pick up Latavius Murray so that I can I can go ahead and make you pay me at playoff time. You will have to pay me or go go without your handcuffs. And Latavius Murray and Tony Pollard, both of them are too valuable to the people that own Zeke and Kamara. You cannot be without those players, especially and and if you own them and you didn't have them as your handcuffs, yeah, I'd go do that immediately. I'd go for free cuz you're you're not going to get it cheaper than that. So I'd go do that right away. There's gotta be some back end guy you can cut off your team to go get your handcuff right now. I know people don't like handcuffs, but especially this year with all the wonkiness, this is gonna come up. And so if I can if I can go and get my shares on Murray and Pollard right now, I'm running to the waiver.
0: And then the other one, the last one, is our guy, uh, Preston Williams. You'll be sorry. Brian Fitzpatrick looked bad. Nobody can argue with that. But they're playing the Patriots defense in New England with something to prove. And Preston Williams, yes, he only had two catches for 41 yards. Again, not impressive, but he's coming off an ACL. You knew he was going to take a little bit of time to adjust, maybe, but he led the team with seven targets. He, Ryan Fitzpatrick was force-feeding him the ball, which is part of the reason that he threw two picks. <laughs> because yeah. he kept trying to throw to Preston Williams. I think it was, he three, I, I think
1: it was three by the end of the day, actually. For no, fans. no,
0: it was three total, but two yeah. of them were throwing to Preston <laughs> okay. Williams yeah. Yeah. in double coverage because he just wanted to get the guy the ball. So Preston Williams is going to get force-fed. We've said it all offseason. Preston Williams is the wide receiver one on this team. Devontae Parker's already dealing with hamstring injuries that are just going to keep creeping up on him. Yeah, this. I mean... Come on, people. 65% of leagues currently own Preston Williams. The other 35 need to wake up. So go pick him up.
1: An honorable mention is Golden Tate here. I know he didn't play in week one, and people love to hate on Golden Tate because he's 30. And I, I, I the, the my takeaway from that is I'd be much more worried about how Evan Ingram managed to get 2.9 points in a game where their slot receiver didn't play. That's the big takeaway for me. Not that Golden Tate is bad or already hurt. Golden Tate will be back out there. And it's a very nice little value pickup that you can get if he, he's available at this point now in about 30, slightly over 30% of leagues. So he will have some value for you uh, down the stretch. So that's definitely an honorable mention. On this list.
0: All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Make sure to get all the latest news, injury updates, and a full preview of this weekend's matchups. You're tuning in to Trust or Busts this weekend with Jack and Jason. They record it every Friday night, so you can get it either late night Friday or Saturday morning to set you up for the weekend. We'll be back next Wednesday to talk about week two and the big stories and headlines. Neil, where can the people find you on the socials?
1: As always, you can find me at nonsense underscore Neil on the fantasy life app and on Twitter here to answer all your lovely questions. Check out the trade tables, which go up on Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday is my day. That's at nonsense underscore Neil. Thursday is Friday or no, it's not Thursday is Wes Smith. <laughs> relation, And, uh, check his out. It'll be up in the morning for you, or it'll likely have just posted when you're actually hearing this, considering what time it's going up this evening. And uh, feel free to hit us up with any questions that you may have about that. And if you've got Michael Thomas related questions, we are all here to try and help you navigate that minefield because welcome to your new full-time job. So hopefully it's all you, to everybody, hopefully your week two goes better than your week one. And especially if you have Michael Thomas, hopefully your week two just can look a lot happier than what you had to do last weekend.
0: Yeah, Thursday is Friday because unlike Anthony McFarlane, Neil yet to be concleared, but we let oh, him on that, here anyway.
1: That stops. That's I, I, uh, never gonna happen.
0: <laughs> uh, you can follow the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at nonsenseff. You can follow us in the Important Nonsense community page on the Fantasy Life app. Make sure you're subscribing to the pod wherever you listen and leave us a five star review. Follow me everywhere at nonsense underscore Steve. And until next week, make sure you keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevier. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!